Blog Talk Radio. This is Kim Hopkins, standing in for Dr. Ross Green. Today he's traveling, so uh, you have me along with my B-team parent leaders as co-hosts, Jennifer Trethaway and Stella Hastings. Um, Hi, Kim. It's time for Parenting Your Challenging Child. Hi there. Uh, Hi. Good morning. Good morning. We do this radio program the first Tuesday of the month, which is actually a change. It used to be on Monday. Uh, We do it September through May, uh, each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. On this program, we do our best to help you with your behaviorally challenging child, help you figure out what's going on, and help you figure out uh, some things that are going to work. Uh, Our call-in number is 347 994-2981, and you're going to want to make sure to press 1 so we can see you pop up in our caller list. How are you both doing this morning, Jennifer and Stella? <laughs> doing very I'm well. I'm doing a little tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have well, a feeling everybody, everybody you, why you're tired. We're going <laughs> to be stepping on each other all morning, I think. Yep. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm I'm feeling really good. I actually slept in, so um, this is uh, an extra day here in Portland for me, and I I took I took extra time staying asleep, so I'm feeling great. That was excellent self care. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Now Stella, you're originally in from Kansas, but you're in Portland yes. because yesterday we had our annual Lives in the Balance Summit. And you both yes. were part of the parent panel, and you did a beautiful keynote in the afternoon with a Q&A session. So why don't you uh, tell everybody how your experience was and what some of your takeaways were from the summit? Oh, I'm still kind of reeling with the sense of gratitude and a, a positive sense of being overwhelmed. Um, I, I think the, my biggest takeaway is that um, I, I've known now for – months that the folks on the B team page, um, my fellow moderators, Penny and Jennifer, and then a couple of the other um, really active uh, moms in there, like Heather and Eileen, um, I, you know, I have felt like they have been part of my tribe, my village now for a while, but meeting them, um, I, I honestly, same kind of feeling as seeing um, my good, dear friends from high school. Um, even though this is my first time seeing these these uh, ladies uh, face-to-face, and we were just basically just strangers, but um, it, it's just this deep connection, this intimate sort of connection, and I'm so beyond everything else from, from Summit yesterday, I'm just grateful to now know these these wonderful people as people and um, <laughs> to continue to grow um, yeah, and then there's a whole slew of stuff from yesterday, too. But that was my, my biggest takeaway and what I'm most thankful for. 
And it was an amazing thing to get a chance to actually spend some time together in person. And, you know, we all instantly recognized each other because we've seen each other's pictures and, and, you know, we (laughs) we knew everyone was going to be there, but there's something very different about being able to actually sit across from someone and, and share a meal or share a conversation than doing it online as much as I love online and I wouldn't trade the B team for anything, (laughs) but it was something really special Uh, for me. I was, I was saying this morning that yes, that it was, I mean, above and beyond all of the, the specific valuable, wonderful information that I feel like we walked away with waking up yesterday morning and hearing this horrible, awful news about what was happening in the country and then spending the day around people who were all having discussions about empathy and compassion and support and collaboration and understanding mm-hmm. and finding mutually satisfying solutions was a really great counterpoint to news about mass shootings and death and injuries. And it yes. it was – it it really sort of outlined very clearly why it's so important that we're doing what we're doing. Yes, absolutely. It was definitely well-timed as, as far as, you know, reeling from the news and then being able to go to the summit and, and hear Dr. Green's keynote about um, collaborative and proactive solutions, not only working in our homes and in our schools and, you know, in clinic settings and other settings, but also it's just a great way of working with one another and a great way to resolve conflicts nonviolently. And, you know, it was, um, it was a bit healing, I think, his keynote yeah. in many ways. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it was what an inspiring day, as it always is. And um, we, should let some, we should let folks know that if you weren't able to be there, we tried our best at different points during the day to go live on our Facebook page, which is Lives in the Balance. So you should like our page, and then you can check out snippets of Dr. Green's keynote and also some of the breakout sessions. Um, we will, uh, in a couple of weeks, post on our website the uh, longer versions of some of the presentations so that people who aren't able to attend can um, see those and, and view some of the slides. Uh, whatever might be of interest. Um, and also on our B-Team group page, you guys did some go-live um, with different participants, right, and talking about yep. your experience. And um, so there's a, there's, if you weren't able to be there, there's a lot of ways that you can feel like you were there. <laughs> but We should it, also tell it, everybody it, and that – And it's wonderful, we, but it's oh. – not a, it doesn't replace being there, unfortunately. Being there is really a special experience. <laughs> it definitely is. And um, we actually already picked the date for the 2018 summit, which is actually unusual. But Dr. Green says we're learning that if we don't plan early, we won't get the date that we want. <laughs> so we are planning earlier. And it, next year it will be on Friday, November 2nd, 2018. Um, and so we hope to get as many people there as possible. It truly is a special and recharging kind of day, um, and we'll have special things for parents and uh, educators and others as well. But, um, yeah, we hope to see 
see everybody there. We don't yet have any callers, and we're sort of assessing if people have gotten the message about our change in day, so um, we'll have to kind of keep on top of that. But we do have plenty of emails. Um, in fact, we've got a backlog of emails, so we'll have plenty to talk <laughs> about, even if we don't have anyone call in today. Um, our first email says, my 18-year-old son has so much anger. He doesn't like his sister, who is 11. He tells me all the time he wishes she were never born. He is on the spectrum, high-functioning. He asks his sister to play at times, or he just taps his sister and tries to play with her. She, at times, or most of the times, doesn't like it and doesn't answer him nicely, or she just says, stop. Then he, in turn, says that she is mean, I hate her. Do you have any suggestions? Um, So, actually, I think we probably do, right? We probably have some experience (laughs) with uh, sibling and and peer-to-peer interactions. Um, So it certainly sounds like, in, in our model, the first step is to figure out what unsolved problems your son is struggling with. Um, And we can use our assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, we call it the ALSIP, to look at the lagging skills on there as springboards to help us figure out what unsolved problems he might be dealing with. You mentioned in here that we know that he's got some trouble uh, when he wants to play with his sister and she doesn't want to play with him. That's one that I heard in here. Um, another I heard in here is that, and I'm not sure, but I would want to know, does sister like to play with him? And are there times when that goes well um, versus the times it doesn't go well? Do they ever start playing and then it doesn't go well? That would be a different unsolved problem. Um, Mm -hmm. And just to sort of, make sure that we split these out so we don't clump together, you know, every time they interact around playing, it doesn't go well. We really want to get specific and split those out because that's going to give us the best shot of um, getting some information that we need from him. He's your partner in this. You might find you need some information from sister as well um, to figure out uh, both of their perspectives on what's happening so that you can come up with, a solution that works for both of them and you as well. So let's see. You guys want to jump in at this point or you want me to keep going? So I don't want to talk too much here. <laughs> you know, I, I do. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to share uh, that the way that I've approached um, issues between my eldest son, who's my explosive son, um, also on the spectrum, and his younger brother, um, is to actually moderate a plan B conversation between the two of them. Um, when, when I started utilizing the model with my eldest son um, and taking him through the plan B conversations, um, and it, it was making a, a positive impact on his life and all of our lives, I began um, figuring out that when when he has an issue involving someone else, that I couldn't speak for that other person 
um, regarding their concerns. I could just generalize and make assumptions. So I, I began setting up between my two sons at the dining room table um, and moderated it. Um, and from pretty early on, um, they started having success with this. And ever since we've, we've done that, um, they still ask me for help <laughs> when they sit down <laughs> to discuss an unsolved problem that they're having between the two of them, which for our boys usually also involves playing games where the youngest does not want to do what his older brother um, wants. So um, it's, I, I would encourage this parent to, to try the model uh, with, with her 18-year-old son first, get him comfortable with the three steps, and then um, see if she can sit both of the children down and help guide the conversation between the two of them. You know, I, I love that. It's amazing what um, what doing Plan B with two kids does, and now they initiate on their own. I think that's fantastic. And, you know, maybe the place to start here could be um, his difficulty when sister doesn't want to play. And right. um, maybe using the model in the first step to figure out through the drilling strategies um, what about that bothers him. If he has an idea and he wants to play um, – I don't know, Monopoly with her and um, he approaches her to play and she doesn't want to. And, and, you know, what about that upsets him? Um, What does he tell himself about that? What's some information there we can learn? And then um, talking with sister to find out her perspective on it as well. You might, I have a hunch that you might find that there are actually some other unsolved problems to be focusing on because, um, (laughs) I'm not sure if it's the way he's asking her and, and sister can help us with that, um, know that, or if there are right. um, other, uh, you know, other reasons that playing together isn't working well. Getting specific is going to be helpful because it might be that they play Monopoly fine together, but when they do, um, when they play soccer, it doesn't go well. Or when they're shooting hoops, right. it doesn't go well. So, yeah, getting right. specific is going to be important too. Um, if you think it'll be too hot, too heated to, to put them together. I love what you said about start with son, get his perspective. You can separately go to right. daughter to get her perspective. Now you have lots of information. You can then add your concern as a parent, and you're probably wanting to make sure everybody's safe and things are calm, um, and then uh, maybe even put them together at that time when you've got a well-defined problem of all the concerns on the table to put heads together to come up with some solutions, um, that would be great. And if that can't happen, then doing that part separately as well. Um, so there's, there's options if, um, if it feels a little too risky at first. And then, uh, as you're, you experienced Stella doing this together more often, um, kind of lays the groundwork for them to be able to start to understand the skills of problem solving and work some things out together and ask for help when it's not going well. Absolutely. I'm glad you Anything brought that up. Else there's actually been, oh, great. There's, there's actually been one entire Plan B conversation that my sons had that I literally went back and forth between their rooms, and I was writing down what they wanted to say to the other, <laughs> because when we initially sat down at the table, it, it just went fireball. 
Um, and so they, we just said, you know what, time out, go to your separate corners. We'll find another way to make this conversation work. And I would write down what one person's concern was and take it to the other. And they, I would write down that they empathized, and I just went back and forth and back and forth until we had a written-down solution. Um, and for that unsolved problem, it worked beautifully. So don't, don't be scared to improvise and just keep the conversation going. What a great example. I, I absolutely yeah. love it. <laughs> you got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> yep. You know, I think that a lot of times people think, but that's so much work. But the fact is that it was a lot of work that time. But because you put in the work in that moment, the next time was a little bit easier maybe. And then eventually they could sit down at the table together and not have to have you walk from room to room writing things down. So yeah, so I think a lot of times a great minutes. point. It's, yeah. Yeah, it took 45 minutes, and then the outcome was they played, and they had a successful 15-minute week activity. That's what the oldest son wanted to do, and they played successfully. There were no remotes thrown at the wall or through a window, or (laughs) nobody got punched. So the 45 minutes led to 15 minutes of game interaction that was positive for both of them. They, They did it. They got through it, and they hugged each other at the end and went their separate ways. I I invest in 45 minutes for that. Yep. And and the pay, the long-term payoff is even bigger than the 15 yep. minutes right there. Yeah. You know, I I am a we are a one child family, so I frequently defer on the sibling questions because <laughs> it's not something I'm an only child and I have an only child, so I'm I I don't have any sibling things to put out there. But, uh, you know, for for me and and for sometimes even I will say to my son who is 13, I'll say to him, you know, what I say to myself when he's getting upset, you know, your friend isn't giving you a hard time. He's having a hard time. What's he having a hard time <laughs> with? And uh, I repeat that. Some days I repeat that to myself 37 times in one minute. He's not giving you a hard time. He's having a hard time. He's not giving you a hard time. He's having a hard time. But sometimes just those words can be enough to kind of at least take a pause. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. That's fantastic (laughs) advice. Um, We have another email. This one has a couple of questions in it that we'll we'll sort of take one by one. Um, Let me read it first. Hello. I am new to this model and have a copy of The Explosive Child, which I am constantly rereading. I have done the walking tour and listened to many radio shows. I really do believe the theory and have put Plan B into practice, but I am finding it very difficult. My eight-year-old explosive son basically explodes with aggression when he is told the word no. When I try to sit and Plan B with him, he will ignore me. If I am able to get him to come up with a solution when it comes to the time when he gets the opportunity to put his plan into action, he refuses and acts aggressively, hitting me and screaming at me. I understand that this may be hard to do at first, but I do not know what to do in the heat of the moment. When he's hurting others, throwing a ball around the house, which he agreed not to do, 
or screaming that he is not going to put a seatbelt on or he is not going to bed, what am I supposed to do right at that moment? Since implementing Plan B and making an effort not to Plan A, I feel his aggression and disobedience has escalated. I don't know what to do when he is not following Plan B. I am so stressed out and feeling like a battered wife with his abuse. Every request is a battle, and it affects our whole family, his two older siblings. Any advice would be very much appreciated. So we have a few questions in here uh, and some things that, that uh, we should talk through. Um, being told the word no and that causing problems, um, ignoring your attempts to plan B, uh, coming up with a solution that he doesn't follow through with, and what do you do if you find yourself in the heat of the moment? Um, we could probably take those on in order. Um, so when he is told the word no, I'm actually not surprised if you have a challenging kid and he's being told the word no, that that does escalate things. Um, challenging kids, the research shows, typically don't have the skills to adjust to the word no. Um, and so in our model, we think of the word no being plan A and a, a, a unilateral uh, adult-imposed solution. Um, and when we do that with challenging kids, it typically kind of pushes them a little further downstream and can make things work. Now, that doesn't mean you need to say yes. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Um, but as opposed to saying the word no, it's asking a question. Uh, I remembered one time, this was not my child, but uh, I was a teenage person that I was working with offered to um, drive my car. He, was, he thought that this would help him out, help me out if he drove my car to do something for me. He had just gotten his permit or something like that. I'm thinking in my head, absolutely no way. That is never going to happen, <laughs> right? Um, could you, like, I'm, I'm at work. Could you imagine, like, if I let this happen? I, no, 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 in my head, right? <laughs> and what comes out of my mouth is, you want to drive my car, what's up? <laughs> it's emergency <laughs> plan B, in, in a sense, because um, I'm not saying no, but I'm not saying yes. I'm getting information as much as I can in the moment um, to figure out what he's thinking, and then I'm going to share with him my worries, and we can, hope, you know, try our best in the heat of the moment doesn't always go so well to figure out a solution, but at the very least, we're at least demonstrating empathy and listening as opposed to shutting things down with the word no. So I would, again, we always go back to the ALSIP, our assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, and make sure that um, you've listed all the things you're saying no about are unmet expectations or unsolved problems, and you want to make sure that those are listed on there. Um, because those are the things that you want to proactively plan B about so that you find yourself less often having to say anything about them. Um, anything that you guys want to add to that? Well, I think that for us, first of all, that's, I could have written that email once upon a time. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, People, I, I, and I felt like I was the only person in the world who had that problem, and I've now discovered that I'm far from the only person who did. Um, and for us, 
it took a lot of plan C before we got to plan B because yes. he didn't trust us yet, plain and simple. <laughs> and a lot of people skip over the plan C part, I think, and just jump right into plan B because they, they're so excited that it's there and and they want it to work really well. And it will, but not if you don't have buy-in from your kid yet. And if, if your kid has been plan A for a long time, then a lot of times it takes some plan C before they'll be willing to plan B. At least it did in our house. Yeah, I would agree with that, Jennifer. Um, you know, the having the kid buy-in um, is is another way of saying um, developing that trust, and yep. that's a part of this model that is you know, the the foundation, that's communication. And um, so what I would, you know, what I, I could have written this as well. <laughs> um, and when, when I first started using the model, my son was nine and a half. So I remember that at eight, um, before I had the model, it was explosion after explosion, multiple daily, and I just was drowning and feeling like a battered housewife. Um, so I, I can completely empathize with this parent. Um, I would I wanted to say a couple of things about this. Then I wanted to address the heat of the moment. I'll never um, forget one of the call-in shows that I, I did early on with Dr. Green where I described the heat of the moment situation, and he gently reminded me, well, now that that's happened, that's predictable. And so with the with the seatbelt heat of the moment, because that, that seems like one that, you know, uh, mom has to. Mom has to ensure his physical safety in the car. Um, and so that's, that's an extremely predictable situation that that child is probably daily having to get in the car, right? And... Um, and buckle that seatbelt. That's a that's important. Um, so I would I would encourage this mom to use that um, in a, as a proactive way um, prior to having to get into the car. And um, just if you can get through the empathy step, just hear his concerns and empathize yep. them without judgment, without anything, um, drill a little bit if you if you absolutely need to, but I would just start it. And if he's ignoring um, you through this conversation, just a reminder that, the, you know, the, maybe needing a little bit more time, perhaps ask him to raise one finger if, if he disagrees and raise five fingers if he agrees. And see if uh, even a, a little, you know, signal can get the conversation going. Um, <laughs> and because you know, the, the proactive part of it is really important. So that, um, and I'm really curious as to what it is about putting that seatbelt on is getting in his way. So yep. that's what I got. <laughs> uh, the five finger I, method. Yay! I'm sure. <laughs> yes. 
I'm sure you had fabulous advice to give, but I don't know if you noticed, I got booted off the call for a bit and just reconnected, oh. but I'm sure you had fantastic things to say. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't notice. <laughs> um, I don't want to be repetitive in what you might have said. Um, so uh, we, you talked about the heat of the moment. I know you're about to do that when I got booted off, so that's great. Yep. Um, and then have we, did, we, did we have a chance to talk further? I heard you start to talk about the five-finger method to address the question about what happens if he's ignoring you um, yep. when you try to plan B. We yeah, so I think you, you, just missed, you just missed that I said um, focus. If, if all you get through is the empathy step, just stay there. Absolutely. You know, just fo- Absolutely. focus on the empathy step at first. Let him be heard. Um, and I think this mom might get surprised at what, if if he does join her in conversation, or even if he lifts a finger or five fingers, um, she'll get some good beginning information that then can start developing the trust. Yeah. I sometimes for think some that... Kids, and, sorry, I'll go, go ahead. Right ahead. <laughs> no, no, you go. I sometimes... <laughs> I sometimes think that plan C is really just staying in the empathy step for a really long time, (laughs) you know, because it, it takes a long time to get to a point where your kid can trust that you're really hearing them and that you're really understanding that. So sometimes plan C is really just like, a couple months of the first of just the empathy step before you can get to step two, before you yep. can get to the parent concerns. It's sort well, of extended plan B. Say something <laughs> along those lines around um, if if he has multiple unsolved problems and you are keeping all of those on his plate. So in other words, if there's a lot of expectations, he has trouble meeting, which you listed quite, you know, a few already just in this email. Um, And we're keeping all of those on his plate. Um, It might be hard for him to engage in in a problem-solving conversation about any of them um, because he could be quite overwhelmed by all of the expectations he doesn't meet. So um, using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, one of the things it's meant to do is to help you organize your thoughts around your, the unsolved problems, see how many you have, and then prioritize and only keep one or two or maybe three at most on his plate at one time. Plan C would be used for the rest. You're either not going to bring them up or you're going to have some sort of interim agreed-upon Band-Aid plan Um, which I know we talked about in the radio show last month uh, with an email that we received. And, um, you know, sometimes, and and sometimes I'm explicit with kids and saying, you know, I know that there's a lot of things that could be going better for us. And um, let's just take one on at a time and see what kind of progress we can make together. And for all the others, we're either not going to worry about them or we're going to have some temporary uh, plans that, that you and I both like for how to just keep things calm while we're working on one thing. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, love kids that, are Kim. super That's sensitive. As, yeah. yeah, they're super sensitive. I'm sure you've, you've lived this, right? 
super sensitive <laughs> to plan A. I see it in my own seven-year-old daughter who does not get very much plan A at all, certainly not from me, although I would never pretend that I'm perfect. <laughs> but they're so worried about that plan A is coming, it's coming, you know. I'm going to hear no. I'm going to be told what, what I like is going to be taken away from me. All these things they're worried about, and they're so guarded, even at eight years old, as this email is speaking to, so guarded. And so often we have to do a lot of work to convince kids that we're thinking about them differently and talking with them differently. And it can take a while for kids to be more comfortable, you know. Mm-hmm. I think one other um, thing that I try to keep in mind is that and what I've learned in, with my own son is that what looks like aggression and anger is really just poorly disguised anxiety most of the time for him. And so if I start to ask a question and he shuts down or I get the no, that's why I said, yay, the five finger method, because, you know, he's, he'll be 14 in a month and we still very much go back to that because it's much less anxiety producing. If I make a suggestion and he just has to agree or disagree, and sometimes I, I joke that the best, the, some of our best Plan B conversations have involved the five-finger method when he's in his bed with all of his covers over him and his stuffed animals all piled on top of that and just mm-hmm. one hand sticking out so that I can see the number of fingers he sticks up because <laughs> he feels safe and secure. He doesn't have to look at me. He doesn't have to say a word, but he knows that I'm hearing him and he knows that I'm understanding what he can't yet bring himself to say because he's too anxious about it. Yeah. That's a, that's awesome that he does that. Um, with, with my 14 year old, um, just sitting here, I, I kind of had an aha moment right now listening to you, Jennifer, um, and Kim to your, uh, descriptions too. Um, my, I just noticed in the back of my mind that my son in the last month or so has started explaining to me when he's getting riled up saying, I have something to ask you, Mom, but I'm scared you're going to say no. Um, and oh. he, never, he never used to say that. And I just realized, oh, my gosh, he's now articulating this. I'm scared you're going to say no, so I, I don't want to say it. Um, and I just noticed that I mean he didn't ever <laughs> used to do that so um, I mean again this is kind of a you know a, a, a tip of the hat moment to this model because now he has the cognitive ability to say I'm getting frustrated because I, I know that there's a possibility that you're going to say no um, uh, so but it's taken us <laughs> a long, long time to get there. Um, Well, and he always told you that, Stella. He just didn't use words. Right. (laughs) It was the behavior that told you that before. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and to to wrap up, I know that a lot. Yeah. I have one more, one more little comment, Kim, if I may. Um, Sure. I know that a lot of the listeners and a lot of people on the B team do have teenagers um, and older teenagers, too, um, a, a reminder that the five-finger method that seems like it would just be applicable towards younger kids actually does work for this age group. Um, and one mom on the B team at some point in the last few months had posted that 
um, they have uh, text conversations with their team or plan B. <laughs> um, yep. that they, they That's right. I saw that. Texting their concerns but not saying eyeball to eyeball. Um, so um, whatever works. I'm, I'm done, Kim. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Whatever You've works. Got to start somewhere. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and to the point of if we come up with a solution, he doesn't follow through with it, something that you'll hear us say a lot on this program is go back to the model because there's something to be learned about that solution and why it didn't work. There's something to know about that. Perhaps it wasn't as feasible as we thought it was. Maybe it wasn't as mutually satisfactory as we thought it was. Maybe there were some concerns on the part of the kid that didn't get put on the table so um, it, it's a time to be curious. I, I, know it, I know it can easily be a time to be frustrated and upset. Um, again, kids do well if they can. There's something to be learned when the solution doesn't work, especially if you're really perplexed because you really thought it addressed both sets of concerns. Um, it's time <laughs> to get curious and, and figure out what, what might have happened. Those are the kinds of moments where I start saying, he's not giving you a hard time, he's having a hard time, he's not giving you a hard time, he's having a hard time, (laughs) over and over again in my head. That's right. I actually add every time that Whenever we get to the invitation, still to this day, I always remind my child what the invitation is, that we're going to write down every single solution that we can think of before we start deciding. And I always say, and if the solution we take today doesn't work, back here and try another one. (laughs) I love that. And do you find, I find this with my daughter, she tells other people that, you know, we came up with a new solution for bedtime. This is what it is. And if it doesn't work, we're just going to talk again, and it's okay. And what a nice thing, what a nice message for them to internalize, you know. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, We still don't have any callers, but again, plenty of emails. So let's take, I think we've got time to take on um, perhaps one more here. Um, Hello, my daughter is 13 years old and can barely read or write over the first grade level. Here's our challenge. When we try to give her work at her level, she says it's for babies. She wants harder work. But when we give her harder work, she gets frustrated because she's unable to do it. She lacks the skills. By refusing all work now at school and often acting out by ripping up papers and most recently bolting from school, we are needless to say at wit's end. She is unable to build her confidence. Her mindset is at an all-time low. The school does not know what to do with her. They lack the tools. As her mother, so do I. She has learning disabilities and ADD, but she can learn. I know she can. Thank you in advance for any help you're able to offer. Uh, What do you say, guys? What do you think about this one? (laughs) Um, As the mom that received a call from the ninth grade in January where the counselor said, come and get them, we don't know what to do with them, um, I am completely seeing myself in this email. Uh, it's a tough one, for sure. Uh, lots of, lots of. You know what stands of, out uh, for me? Um, 
I'm sorry. Um, what stands out for me is that she, she, she's, the daughter is saying, give me harder work. That's actually mm-hmm. a solution. Right. And the adults are complying with that solution and trying it, but yet seeing it's not working because it results in frustration because it's not, it's, um, she's unable to do it or, or that's what we right. think. That's what the frustration is from. So giving her harder work, as a solution is just, it's just not working. So maybe <laughs> what needs to happen is we know it need to go back to the model and learn a little mm-hmm. bit more from her about the work she is being given um, and the idea yeah. that it's for babies. What I would do is I would, this is an unsolved problem, right? And I would split it up and get a little more specific um, yeah. and uh, make sure that we're talking about a specific type of work, a specific subject, getting some specificity in there and just talking about one, just taking on maybe reading, for example, um, and independent reading would be even more specific. Independently reading uh, a specific book would be even better. Um, and focusing uh, the, on that with her and, use, you know, going to step one and saying to her, you know, I know you've told us um, before that some of the work is is for babies um, but I'm thinking about this one particular book that that you've been asked to read on your own what what's been difficult about that um, yeah and maybe knowing a bit more what she means about it's for babies maybe there's something else there to learn um, you know maybe I'm like I'm wondering say something to her <laughs> exactly you shouldn't like, be I'm doing that work that's for babies happening right yep. right and so Something to be, something more to be learned. Um, then yeah. there, you can put your concern on the table. You know that you um, you you want her to to take opportunities to learn and that kind of thing. And then that positions you to enter into step three in a different place um, to figure out uh, a solution. I also had the thought that back in step two, you might want to add in your concern that you don't want her to feel frustrated at school. You know, so because the solution will have to address your concern, right? And so um, giving harder work is probably not going to be the solution that you end up on. Um, And depending what you hear from her, you might need a couple of different solutions. Uh, But it sounds to me like there's some drilling to do to learn a bit more, which starts with a highly specific split-up unsolved problem. What do you guys think? and I would say that when when mom says she absolutely can learn, I know she can. Well, of course she can. She just needs to be taught the way that works for her. Her. And until you talk to her, you're not going to know what that is. Right. The way it works for her. And the, Kim, your breakdown uh, suggesting you know, just finding that unsolved problem, wording it more simply, very specifically, getting her feedback, that's that's where it's all going to start, finding out what's going to work for her. Yep. Yep, you you need her as the partner here because she she suggested a solution, it's just not working. And so let's find out more about what she was trying to solve. Um so that we can be better positioned to to help her out. Yes. Um, fantastic. Okay, we have literally about less than two minutes here, but we're going to take on one last short email here. Hello, I've read the book and been through the website, but I'm still having trouble figuring out which unsolved problems 
belong to which lagging skill? Does it matter? Or is it more important <laughs> that lagging skills make me think about the unsolved problem? You guys want to want to say it? <laughs> Doesn't matter a bit. <laughs> nope. That's and right. Dr. Green actually right. said that out loud to us at last year's summit in the afternoon parent session. He said, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Don't waste your time worrying about that. Think about, you know, how you're going to get to your, your plan B conversation. doesn't matter. Use the lagging skill to force yourself to describe what, what does your child look at, when is it that the expectation is not being met? What is that scenario? And then let's word it so that we can approach a child with a plan B conversation. Yep. Absolutely In right. Fact. Well said by both of you. Precision is um, <laughs> not something that we can shoot for here, <laughs> and we're not trying to. They're just a springboard well, for, um, and, yeah, you know what, for helping you think of what, the examples. What, what I tell myself and what I've told other people is look at the ALSUP as a tool, not a legal document. <laughs> it's just to get That's you right. thinking. Awesome. And with that said, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we'll be back next month with another episode. Be sure to join us then. Bye.